Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you are at. This is Plot Twist Please, the podcast. Learn it, love it, marinate on it. I'm Shamaya. It sounds like papaya, except it's not. And this is episode three, where we are going to talk about racism, anti-blackness, colorism, um, and, you know, all kinds of discrimination within the theater arts and a little bit within film as well. Um, So before we get into that, I just want to check in. How is everyone? How are you feeling? What are you up to? What are you loving right now? What do you what do you disdain right now? Um, Yeah, it's it's a really it's a rough time for a lot of us. Um, a lot of learning and unlearning going on, which is great. Um, I'm probably going to go more into detail about my specific feelings on matters that are occurring, uh, specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement and um, approaches to respond to what's happening. Uh, so, yeah, I've got some thoughts on that that will be reserved for another episode. Um but so, yeah, a couple good things have happened recently. Um, the first good thing is that I've decided that this podcast will be weekly instead of biweekly. And the structure is going to kind of be um, like I'm going to bring on a guest and then I'm going to have a sort of stream of consciousness episode. And in continuation, the next episode will be me bringing on a guest and then another stream of consciousness, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. You're smart folks, you get it. So I'm really excited about that. And the other good thing that has happened recently uh, is a lot of people are becoming more aware of their actions and of their past actions and their points of view and um, their perspective or lack of. And that's really, that's really exciting to you know, kind of get into this new age of, of art where people are kind of craving more. Um, and specifically where black artists are feeling more empowered to be vocal about the discrimination we've endured and, you know, as people and as artists, because it is it is twofold. Um, and I'm going to talk more about that uh, within this episode. Um, but I'm so excited to have Maisha come on. Uh, you might know her. She's Maisha Tierra McGarver. And she's an actress, a director, and a content creator, as well as the artistic director of Perceptions Theater in Chicago. Um, so yeah, the, the theater is fairly new, um, but she's got a great perspective on things. And she's really driven and is really focused on her mission, which I find really inspiring. Um, and I actually met her a couple years ago. And, you know, we kind of, we crossed paths um, on a show that we were both working on, in a show we were both working on, and um, we really connected there. And I'm so glad and excited to have her on the episode today, um, and the next episode. Oh, I forgot to I forgot to explain. This episode is going to be in two parts because we ended up talking for about two hours, and <laughs> and as fascinating as it is to listen to two people talk for two hours. I don't think that that would be the most efficient route. So I split it up into two episodes and the next episode will be premiering next week. I'm not telling you the day of the week because I don't want you to hold me accountable if I'm late. 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> she's gonna, we're gonna continue that next week. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. And, um, just a few things that I've loved recently. Um, I talked about this in my Friday phase, if you follow my blog. Um, but my, one of my Friday faves was the movie Lovebirds. And it was just such, it was a good moment of levity, but also it, it pinpoints how, um, probably, and I don't know what, whether it was intentional or not, but it kind of shows how if it's, if, if people can't understand how important it is to be racially conscious when casting and when creating narratives that, that either they involve race or they don't, but they there have people of color in the mix, specifically black people. Um, that a good way to go about that is through a universal emotion and experience such as love and romantic love. And that that's something that something that I found that seems to just unite people in a way that a lot of other um, uh, a lot of other I guess methods, not really a method, but um, that things like that don't. And I'm not saying that you have to create empathy in order for someone to see your point of view, because I do think that at a certain point it comes down to do you care about other people who you cannot relate to or do you not? Um, so I'm very careful about crafting that kind of narrative. Um, but at the same time, I do think that romance allows people to see things a little differently and genuine love. Um, and I think that the movie, regardless of whether or not that was the screenwriter or the director's intent, um, that's something that was really, um, that's something that I felt through watching it. And it, it might be because, um, you know, I'm coming from the lens of a black woman. Um, and the main, one of the main characters is a black woman, Issa Rae, um, played by Issa Rae. Um, but I do think that that has something to do with it. Um, I don't think that it should take all that to understand that someone's life is valuable, or that someone's livelihood matters and deserves room deserves to take up space in the world. I don't think that should be necessary, but sometimes that's the bridge I've come to find. Um, so yeah, give Lovebirds a watch. If you're, if you're a black person out there and you're tired of, you know, the really gruesome, <laughs> low-key traumatizing depictions of the black experience out there, because there, there are a lot of them and we're gonna go into that in this episode. But if you're if you're one of those people, Lovebirds is a great break from that. Um yeah. So, I'm really excited that she's coming on here today and we're just going to we're just going to jump right in, yeah? Yeah. You can't answer me. And here she is. Hi. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I haven't, I haven't seen you in so long. I know, literally. Yeah. It's crazy. What a crazy world we live in. Jeez. What I was just like, I've been cooped up in the house for like three months. So I, like, I don't even know what day it is anymore. I know. I know. Time is really crazy. I went back to work today. I, I work at a preschool. And so there's like tin cans in a room now. Um, How was it? it? It was weird. It was so weird. I'm like, wow, actual faces. And like... 
And like, cause, cause I'm a preschool teacher, we can't get away from like hugging yeah. the kids or like holding their hand. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, human touch. <laughs> I bet you have like all of the hand sanitizer. Oh yeah, oh yeah, wash our hands like five times a day. It's a whole thing. Thank you so much for joining today. Oh, of course, um, I, of course. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, so let's just jump right in, shall we? Um, how old are you and where are you from? I am 27 years old. Uh, my birthday is July 16th, though, so I'll be turning 28 pretty soon. Ah. Um, and I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, wow. Oh, neat. I've never been to Louisiana, but I feel like I would love it. You I feel need like I would to love go. The food. I do need to go. Yes, yes. Like, like, I've been in Chicago for three years now, and I'm telling you, this winter, it oh, almost no. makes me want to go back home. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry we did that to you. Oh my yes, gosh, my condolences. Um, but I mean, it's been pretty fine lately since we're all stuck in the house, so I'm good. True, 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 true. Turn the AC on. It's all good. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into theater? I actually started in theater when I was five years old. Um, my parents worked late, so I uh, would stay at school at an after-school program they had, and so one day they said, "Hey." Uh, do you want to do this play or do you want to go play outside? And it was really hot that day. And so, you know, my five-year-old mind, I was like, I'm not going outside and sweating. I'll go read a play. I don't know what that is, but I'll go read it. (laughs) And so I read the play and like we did a production and literally my very first role ever was me walking on stage to buy a lollipop. And then I walked off stage. Oh, love that. And, like, all it took was those, like, four or five seconds. And I was like, I'm an actor. Yes, officially. (laughs) So that's how it all started. Yeah, I feel like like we all have these moments, like, when we're younger, too. Like, before we even get onto a stage of, like, yeah, acting in theater was totally what I was going to go into. Like, like the putting on the shows for the family members and things like that. Okay. Do you remember Ashanti's first album? (gasps) Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. You don't know what I did. <laughs> so I, because I, I loved her so much. I think maybe I was in middle school. I might have been elementary school. But what I did was I took her album. I choreographed a dance piece to her album, and you I made not. my mother and my grandmother sit down and watch me dance. <laughs> to oh my god. So I was like, bless, clearly, bless their hearts. <laughs> I was like, clearly, I'm destined for the spotlight. Yeah. They're always down, though, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they, they told me how wonderful it was. I was amazing. I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. That's what I need, validation. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what inspired you to start a theater company? Because that's a pretty big move, you know? Yeah, it's a huge move. And then, like, it seems as if, like, I just started it, and it's like, oh, hey, COVID happened, so you can enjoy that. <laughs> Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love it. This was a dream of mine since I was 19. So it was my um, sophomore year of undergrad, and I'd had some discriminatory things happen to me uh, by the time my sophomore year came around. And I said, you know what? I am going to start a theater company at some point. Like, so I was in like my business of theater class, and I was like, you know what? At that point, I'd realized that a lot of people were being ignored in my uh program and I went to a predominantly white institution you know PWI 
And I said, you know what, I want to be able to have a company where those voices are actually heard. So I named my theater company, even back then, I named my theater company Perceptions Theater, and it literally has not changed. And I still have the paper wow. where I wrote out everything and all the actors that were like in my program that I loved. I was like, these people will work for me for free for like a little bit. <laughs> so like, oh that's really- Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It really started from me having issues in undergrad with getting cast. I, that's that's what made me start a theater company. But, but um, because I wanted to be able to showcase- other people so that they didn't have to feel less than. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I feel like, like specifically for black women, like when we don't get cast in these roles, we're forced to like make our own stuff. Like we got to make our own opportunities. It's just and like a it, thing, it, you know? I like it on one end. Cause it's like, yeah, you get to be more creative. You know, you can learn different avenues that you never thought that you might be interested in. However, I think, don't like it because it's like what if all I want to do is act now I have to be a script writer then I have to be a director I have to be a cinematographer now I gotta learn how to be an editor then I gotta learn how to be a distributor then I gotta learn how to promote my product and it's just like for the love of the lord can I just please act I just want a contract I want y'all to do all of that work and I just want to act and for me like honestly the lack of opportunity is why I started directing and I realized that I loved it. So I'm glad that I love it because if I didn't, that would like really suck. But, <laughs> but I'm an actor, a director. I'm now recently a content creator. So now I have a YouTube channel. So I'm just like, yeah. And I'm in a theater yes. owner. <laughs> yeah. I love your channel. Like you did a, you did a, a, a video of movies to watch besides the help. And I was like that, I just, that viscerally, I relate so well. <laughs> like, because I was looking on Netflix and it was like the most, like the most viewed, the only like racially centered movie or like black folk or like movie about the black experience that people were watching in the top 10 was The Help. And I was like, really? Look, they love this us. They love us in those struggle movies. They love I, us in struggle movies. I, <laughs> so like, I, I'm grateful that you made that video because I'm like, people need to know. <laughs> Yeah, and I was seeing that people were making, like, I think articles of, like, oh, you can watch this instead of The Help, and then they were missing so many movies that I was like, did you not, I'm like, I was like, did a black person make this list? Because I just think that you didn't, and you just picked a whole bunch of random movies that had black people's faces on the cover, because everybody had, like, because it would be, like, four or five films, and it was, like, 13th was always on there, and I'm like, oh, for the love of God, there's more than 13th. 13th is amazing, but they're, you know, of the whole spectrum of blackness. Like, we gotta start all the way at the school-to-prison pipeline, which is why, like, my number 10 was Hard Lessons with Denzel Washington that a lot of people don't even know about that film, but it's on Netflix, been on Netflix for forever, and it's about an inner-city school where black kids are treated less than, which starts the issue with poverty in prison and all this stuff. I'm like, if you wanna know what leads up to us being the way that some of us being the way that we are and how angry we are. I mean, you got to start at the source of childhood. You can't just say, oh, well, 13th happened. Well, y'all, you know, slavery. Like, yeah, let's let's do 13th. Let's do hard lessons. Let's do all of these spectrums and not just the help where a lady poops in a pie or uh, this black woman who lost her son gets to tell a little white girl how special she is, but no one tells any of the black women how special they are. Right. Right, that's so real. And it's like, 
It's like I almost feel like it's like that filter in Google when you're looking at like Google Photos and it tries to fit find like someone's face, like the familiar face. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, did Netflix do that? It (laughs) some of those like at at this point, you know, Black Lives Matter to everybody because they don't want to be canceled. But (laughs) Right. So like if I get one more email from somewhere that like never cared about black people. (laughs) I'm like if I had a dollar for every email, I could quit all of my jobs. All three of them. For real. Like, right? And then, if you really want to do something to help me, how about you donate to me? Donate to a black person you see on the street. Give them a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, if you want to donate, if you, you know, because I just feel a lot of these people, they're doing a lot of lip service. So they don't care. But Absolutely. And it's funny, too, because I feel like like, I can't speak for all pe- black people, of course, but, like, for me, I'm in this weird place where I want to be happy that someone has, has found this revelation of of, of um, structural racism and racism in theater. And, like, I want to be like, oh, good for you. But on the other hand, I'm like, but we've been saying this. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. So this is what I've decided to do because I've had that battle in my mind as well. I'm like, you know what? Y'all take the money. Because all these companies are now randomly just donating to random black organizations, like places that never cared before. Now, you know, I'm not talking about the places like that all have that have always cared and have always at some point given out money. But like these huge corporations where I know for a fact most of your employees, not even half of your employees are even black or if you have black employees at all. And then you're now we're giving to Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, you know what, black people, instead of being upset about that, take their money then never shop there. Like, don't support their business. Take the money and be like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, the black lives do matter. And use that money to help your organization become bigger and better to support black people. And then don't ever use that company again. That's how I see it. I'm like, yes, take the money. Be upset that they are trash. But take the money. Take the money. Now, if they want to give it to you, these people have got bailouts. They're fine. Take the bailout money they're offering. And then... Put your black dollar into black businesses. That's how I feel. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's such good advice. Um, so what is your theater company's mission? Okay, so Perceptions Theater. This is this is what we're all about. Uh, Perceptions Theater. What we do is we change the way that you perceive the world around you, one show at a time, by shining light on the underserved communities that we live in. Now we're based out in South Shore. And this area is predominantly uh, black. There's some Hispanic and uh, white and then a few other, but it's predominantly black. And our mission, mission, like I said, we want to show underserved communities. So we don't only mean race, but race is a big thing. So people who don't get shown on stage as often. But we also want to be able to show work from artists of color and black artists because I like to separate them because I'm like, I don't like to put black artists and artists of color in one box because I feel like a lot of times then black gets pushed to the bottom when it comes to like, okay, now we need the support. Where is everybody? Um, But black artists and artists of color being able to showcase their work, whether they're directing the product or uh, production or whether they're writing it. um, And also by showing us not only in tragic situations, because I know a lot of times some theater companies, when they do do black shows, it'll be like a period piece or something that's like really radical. Or it's like, it's like queen and sim level of triggering for black people. But like white audience is going to eat it up because they're like, oh my God, this is the plight of a black person I never knew. I'm like, 
how that privilege bubble you it's live like in. We, we go to restaurants too and like sleep and fall in love. Like yeah, I'm like that's we what don't I want. Things like, like that we too. We we are more than being being shot by the police. Like like I want to see something else. Can I can I laugh? Can I be happy? So <laughs> so like so our yeah. company we range in the topics that we discuss. So not only race but like different topics that aren't always like. Uh, talked on like some of the uh, plays that we had to revamp our season because you know now everything is COVID and everything shut down the entertainment industry is slowly opening back up but a lot of theaters aren't opening back up as quickly as some filming is so what we're doing is with our um some of our uh shows are like about toxic masculinity and how you know let let boys be boys don't try to make them into men before it's too soon and and so just like different subjects like that as well. So like subjects that people don't like to touch on or don't that don't get enough attention as well as showcasing the community we actually live in because I one thing I notice is that some places they don't actually become a part of their community. They'll have a product like their building will be there, but they don't actually want to be a part of the community and that's a huge thing for us is that we want the, to be able to benefit from the community and have the community benefit from us. So we also work on partnering with local businesses in South Shore to like have our shows there, to have them um, have concessions from Black-owned businesses. We actually just partnered with a, a Black-owned gourmet popcorn company called Enjoy Your Corn. So we're oh. going to be working with them. <laughs> we're going to be working with them. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. So instead of just having some like random popcorn from like the store, we'll get a black owned business to have their popcorn at our show. So that's their, you know, people can get concessions from that and help support a local business. So that's a big part of also what we do is shine a light on underserved communities and actually helping the community that we're a part of. Mm, That's amazing. And I feel like that's what theater should be like serving the community rather than this sort of like self flagellation thing. Like, cause I feel like it's really easy to let it go in that, that route, um, especially talking about like donors and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like theaters are realizing more and more, um, at least I hope they are, that this new generation of thespians um, re- require more um, than just, you know, something that looks like it, you paid a million dollars for it on stage. Like, I think, I think now we actually want something, especially now, um, art that makes an impact and that actually affects real humans. Um, yes, I could, I commend you on that. That's amazing. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, so what specific struggles have you had as a black actor in terms of anti-blackness or colorism or, you know, do I have stories for you? (laughs) (laughs) I bet you do. Um, and my, my very first one, I'm going to go back to when I originally said why I started my theater company. Um, when I was an undergrad. So what happened is at my institution, we were doing a show and the show was called uh, The Importance of Being Earnest. And so I was a theater and directing major and it, because I didn't do musical theater because that's just not what I wanted to do. So the only other option if you were going to be an actor at that institution was to be a theater and directing major. So I was like, I'm never going to take a directing class. I'm just going to do the theater part. But that quickly changed. Uh, but yeah, so I um, auditioned for The Importance of Me in Earnest. And at, at that time before then, I'd aud- also auditioned for other shows and I would always get callbacks. I would always get callbacks. I would get rave reviews about, you know, oh, you did such a great job, Maisha, and everything like that. But then I wouldn't get cast. 
So we were doing important to me and Ernest. I auditioned, made it to callbacks, made it to final round where they were like lining up, oh, who looks good next to each other and type of situation. Next day, cast list comes up on the call board. Name is nowhere to be found. And so we were allowed to go to our professors and, you know, and ask them, you know, uh, about notes. So I went over to my professor's office and I said, hey, I just wanted to know, you know, because I was still so green and I, I felt at that point in my life, I was like, oh, you know, I'm an artist. Like, artists open to everybody. It doesn't matter what you look like. Like, that's what I thought because that's what was told to me. You know, art is open to anybody. And, you know, it doesn't matter what. You can create art. And so I went to get feedback. So I wasn't thinking anything negative. I just thought I'd get really good feedback. You know, like, oh, what I could do better next time to get cast. And my professor said, oh, Maisha, you were wonderful. No, no, no. You, you didn't have to change anything. Like, you were great. You know, the only problem is there were just no black people during that time and I was so confused but because I didn't know how to articulate my thoughts I didn't say anything I just knew something was wrong and I was just like there were definitely black people that existed and this is make-believe and this is an institution of learning so you can disband disbelief as much as you want to do and then, you know, to make me feel better, my professor then told me that he had a friend like me. Because you know how, like, they always like, oh, I got a black friend. You know, and it's like the mailman. But <laughs> he was like, oh. <laughs> he said, they said, uh, oh, I have a friend like you. And it's hard for them to get work as well. So, you know, get used to it. <laughs> so like, That's the thing. It's like, I feel like, I feel like we all at some point, there was a moment, right, where we realized that not only were we black in the world, but we were black on stage. And that's a different thing. Cause I feel like I feel like we think Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel like we think that like this is a this is a world that I can be whatever I wanna be and I can just be a human being and people will see my soul. But it's not like that. Yeah. Unfortunately it's not. So, I mean, so there are some artists who make that possible, who've made it to mainstream that have enough money to be able to produce products. I say people like, you know, Issa Rae. For sure. I like love her. She's always, always going on her way to support other black people and black women. And she, uh, she said, look, I'm rooting for everybody black anyway. So, <laughs> and people like her. And then I think also another director person who helps out a lot, uh, Will Packer. I don't think a lot of people realize how many projects he do that are black. I just cause I do a lot of research now cause you know, I'm a content creator. So my very first video was actually about hashtag black af and how i felt about that tv series on netflix <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so much so much controversy <laughs> there was so much controversy over it and then as i was looking up black directors and just people in the industry who have enough money to make certain things happen i was like will packer you invested in like almost every black movie in the world pretty much i mean like good lord like you have really and I, like, didn't even know that. Like, yeah, I didn't even know that how how many black artists he's helped. And I was just like, wow, okay. And so I think those people are wonderful, but there are so few of them. But, but yeah, so that was my um, first experience of anti-blackness in the, <laughs> the world of acting. Um, I would say my second experience in anti-blackness would be... Um, that I remember, like, that are, like, that whole big moments in my life, like, things you never forget, like, this is etched in my mind, um, was when I went to get my first agent, my first acting agent, 
I had just come off like a high because I was um, I was still young, but I had just uh, filmed uh, the movie Twelve Years a Slave, and I was like, this is I was like, oh, because at first I never never thought that I would even be interested in doing TV and film at all, and I'm and I got blessed with an opportunity to be a part of that because due to an alumni from my uh, college who came back to teach us about TV and film acting, and I just didn't care. I was like, I don't care about that. I'm going to be doing theater. I'm going to be on Broadway. Don't nobody care, and nothing about any TV and film. <laughs> and then I um, ended up getting called. To, and so then he said, give us your headshot and resume. I gave that to him. Ended up getting called to do an audition for 12 Years a Slave. I didn't know what it was. Didn't know it was a book. I was young. I was, like, partying in college. I was like, look, it, whatever. I don't care about that. And so, I, you know, I originally told them no. And then my friends made me call them back and tell them, yes, she will come to the audition. And my friends actually drove me <laughs> because I didn't have a car either. I was like, I was young, broken in college. <laughs> I was like, whatever. And so my friends actually drove me all the way to New Orleans. And that was four hours away from the college that I went to. They drove me all the way to New Orleans so that I can audition. So, like, my friend, they are the real MVP. <laughs> so, like, they're, they're everything. I plan on thanking them when, you know, I get my Oscar and my Tony. I plan on very much thanking them for how amazing they were. But, yeah, so I was coming off a high of doing that film. And at the time, nobody, you know, didn't, the film didn't mean anything because literally we just finished filming. So no one in the world cared about 12 years. Like no one was talking about this show or anything. But I was like, you know what? I might let me see if I can get an agent. So I actually submitted to a lot of different agencies and um one agent actually hit me hit me back up and it was a black agency. So I was like, oh, "Okay, this is cool. It's black people. I'm about to go in here. They're about to sign me." And <laughs> and so I went in for my audition with them and I brought my headshots and uh I gave my headshots to the um agent and he was looking through them and he was like real quiet and they just didn't make me feel welcome which made me feel weird because I was just like well y'all black I thought like at least there'd be something warm I mean like you know I'm young like you know how old I am I was like 19 going on 20 and I was just I was still was really young and um he was just very standoffish and he's going through my headshots and then he and then he closes it he says well, you know the only roles you ever play are slaves because your hair looks like that. And I had an afro, like a little small afro at the time. And I was just so confused. I was like, what do you mean the only roles I ever play are slaves? Because my hair looks like how it does when it came out. Like, I was born with this hair. So I can only play a slave because of the hair I was born with. So that, yeah. So problematic. And so that's why I don't think people realize, like, in the entertainment industry, you can you can get it from white people and people that look like you at the same time. And so it's like you're fighting a double battle of just trying to get seen and noticed. And um, so those two really stand out to me the most, I would say, uh, as far as uh, any anti-blackness I've encountered. Um, I'm trying to think, have I more recently? I mean, I don't know why. My daddy's the police, so maybe I don't understand but, he, you know, he's not the police here. He's the police in Louisiana. And so, you know, that's a whole other story. But, like, it's so weird because I've been stopped by the police while I was on tour. So, it was me and my other black actors. We were on tour. We were driving. Yeah, we were together. And they stopped us. And they were like, oh, where y'all going? And I'm just saying, and I'm just sitting there like, what do you mean? Like, why would that be your question? Why is that the first thing to come out of your mouth? And what I've learned also, because from my father, I also learned, like, when police are just stalling, like, when they don't have anything. 
So, like, I just, like, I know a lot of their little tricks and tactics. So, normally when you're like, oh, where y'all going? It means you have no reason to stop me, but you're trying to figure out if I'm going to tell on myself real quick so you can take me to jail. <laughs> so, it was like, oh, where you going? And, and we're just like, what are we stopped for? Like, why did you get behind us? Because we were on the interstate, mind you. So, like, it's so unsafe. I hate when the cops stop people on the interstate. Because I'm just always so worried about, I'm like, you know, cars, anything. Somebody can get in a wreck. It's the interstate. So, we, they stopped us over on the median. And it was like, oh, yeah, where y'all going? And we're like, oh, we're a touring theater company. And mind you, we literally had this shirt of the theater company on. Like, everybody in the car had the theater company shirt on. <laughs> and we, in the back of the, and it was a, a big van, actually, not a car. It's a big van. and had all our, like, equipment and stuff in the back. And um, we were like, oh, we're a touring theater company, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, I've never heard of a touring theater company before. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm sorry that you're not cultured. That's a personal issue. I didn't say that, but <laughs> I thought it. <laughs> and, you know, and, <laughs> and I, actually, as soon as he had uh, came, stopped us, I actually started recording. Because this was like, this was during the height of like a lot of the like uh, Trevor Martin and Mike Brown and all that stuff. So I, it, it just made me very anxious. So every, anytime I got stopped by the police, I would just record it. Um, and I would only ever, like, you know, actually pull a phone up to, like, show their faces. Like, things got escalated for some reason. But thank the Lord, it never got that far. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I was recording it. And they, were, and they took the uh, driver's ID to literally go see if they had any warrants, honestly. <laughs> and then they ran their ID and they came up clean because we didn't have it like we're actors and, and we shouldn't have to even be held to that higher standard it's another thing I don't like with black people that you have to be held to such a high standard as being the ultimate American in order for your life to matter when it happens to the police like we could have been a bum on the street don't bother people <laughs> it's just like so simple so um he ran ran his uh, ID, ran the plates on a, a car to make sure that it wasn't stolen or had any tickets. Then he comes back to us and gives him back his ID and says, here's a speeding ticket because y'all were speeding. So I was like, well, if we were speeding, wouldn't that have been the first thing you would have said to us when you stopped us? You know, how did you know how fast you were going back there? But that didn't happen. So that's another thing. And, I, and, that's, and that's happened to me a few times as an actor where I've been stopped by the police in the midst of either going somewhere to party with other actors or but it's always been when i'm in the car with other black actors like when i've been in the car with white actor friends and stuff like that we've never been stopped by the cops and i have done a lot of when i've normally when i've been in a cast where it is an all black cast it's normally a very like heavy show anyway so it's like always a show about racism they're never happy <laughs> i'm just like dang but <laughs> but now as an adult yeah, as an adult, when I do a sh do shows with uh, white people, when I'm casting their shows, I've made it, it important to me that, like, if I'm going to be the only one, I'm not doing any tragic shows. You're not going to have me be the only one with a cast full of white folk. It's just not happening. So normally those shows that I choose when I do cast with white people, they're very happy for the most part. Or there has to be more black people in it for me to feel comfortable enough to do a show where it's, like, really heavy. Because then if I if it's a very heavy show and there's no one who looks like me, it's just hard for me to actually make it through the show because you know your mental health takes a toll I don't think people realize that with actors like mental health takes such a big toll when you take on certain roles and when you're just dealing with your own atmosphere definitely of blackness it, it 
it could be a lot. Even right now, like, I have to take sometimes days off. Like, you know, I've been, I've been depressed. And then with these things that are happening and continue to happen, um, you, and to think that we're making progress with, you know, people are doing the Black Lives Matter marches and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, okay, well, maybe this time it'll be different. It'll be different from the 1992 riots of, you know, in L.A. because of Rodney King. It'll be different from the civil rights with Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm in the 60s. It'll be different with the issues with Emmett Till. It'll be different. And then I find out, you know, I'm continuing to find out more and more things that are still happening. Like just today, a cop held four little black boys at gunpoint because they crossed in someone's yard to, like, get to, like, I think, I don't know if they were going to the park or what. But I didn't want to watch the video, so I hurried up and moved past it once I realized it was an actual video. Because I'm like, I, I can't watch this. But yeah, they were just trying to do a shortcut to get to another area. So they like crossed between someone's backyard. And thank God that the neighbors happened to be there. And they recorded it and were like, you know, you don't need to have those guns out on those kids. Because I feel like if they hadn't been there, it would have been another, you know, a George Floyd it, 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 you know, and Breonna Taylor and so many other ones and Ahmaud Arbery and, and all these people. And so, I don't know. I just feel like we're hoping for progress. And it feels like when we're taking a step forward, it like we pushed a step back. And now that we're doing, you know, the Black Lives Matter, a lot of black theater artists are actually speaking up a lot more and starting to make movements for themselves and other black artists to express the discrimination. Like what you're doing, which I love that you wanted to interview me about this because I'm like, yes. Yes, yes, because it is a big issue and people, either they're so privileged they don't realize or they literally just don't care. And that's what I figure. It's one of the two. Yeah, yeah, especially like, because I feel like, yes, theater in general is very white, um, but also musical theater is a, like, I can't think of any elevated black musical theater writers in the canon. Like, you know, and we don't talk about that. We we know a lot about Nina Simone. We don't know about her life. We can we can quote her songs backwards and forwards. We don't know anything about her. Like, and not we, but the, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it, it starts to feel really dehumanizing. And honestly, um, my, I wouldn't say so much my high school, but my college musical theater experience, though I had, uh, I had, I was blessed with mentors who, who got it and who knew how to pull my strengths out of me. Um, a lot of the time it felt very dehumanizing. Um, like it was, it was like I had to show up as the type of black person that they were used to seeing or the type of black person that was marketable for them. Um, you know, and, and there's no space for the vulnerable, you know, emotionally available black girl on stage. Like there's not, there aren't spaces for that. Um, and so that just, that really did a number on me. And I'm, I'm grateful to have had like a couple black faculty members to, <laughs> to be able How to- How is that? Illustrate that of you. How is it having black faculty members? Cause I cannot relate. My entire department <laughs> was white. <laughs> so like there was no support. <laughs> Oh no, uh, I mean, honestly, like it made so much of a difference, even having one, even having one in your corner to be like, don't worry, you're okay. Like, it, and just, just to validate you like that, it just, it makes such a difference. Um, not saying that there shouldn't be more than one because there should be more than one. Um, 
but yeah, just just having that made so much difference, especially because I came from a background where I was never going to take voice lessons on my own. I was never going to take ballet lessons on my own. My family wasn't going to do that. Um, and so being in the musical theater environment, being in that um, cohort was really the only training that I could get. And so like if you associate like that that kind of moldable training and the trauma, like it can really do some damage if you don't have um, leadership that understands that side of you or understands that side of the equation. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah. I used to do musicals for like five minutes. Like fun fact, like, I can <laughs> But yeah, like fun fact, out here. I can yeah, I can sing, but I refuse to do musicals. I think it for the most part. Like there's only like five musicals I would willingly do if I actually put in the effort. But in undergrad, that's when I actually would I would get cast in musicals. However, it would always be a musical that dealt with race and I just didn't like mm. it. Like my first musical was The Wiz and then when I started they they did they did hairspray, they did um West Side Story, just everything that had to do with race. That's when they were like, come on, black people, come on back. <laughs> it's your time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it, it, for me, it was either I was the one black person in the ensemble or like the one person of color in the ensemble or the character who was racially ambiguous and was just like the diva or the, the you know, the... Because the you can only be a diva if you're racially ambiguous. I mean, you gonna be a diva if you're racially ambiguous. If you have that, if you bring that same energy and you're darker, then you just angry. They like that role too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh gosh, but you know, got out of there in one piece, and you know, <laughs> that's the thing too. Is I feel like the like being an artist as a black person, like being an artist in general, is hard and takes a toll on you mentally. But like being a black artist is like you have to find ways to validate yourself even more like you have to dig even deeper because there's as many people as they're as they're going to tell um like the white person next to you know you're going to get the nose times two or times three um and so you really and even when you do make it to a certain point there will be questions of whether you got there by pure merit or by talent alone you know so there's so many and, and, and so many talented black actors who don't get the recognition they deserve, who aren't, they just, and it hurts my feelings because I'm always like, come on, these people are amazing. Are you like not seeing what I'm seeing? And that's also, and because of that, that's made me not have faith in award shows. Like I learned a long time ago and um, I think I was watching, it was some interview that Denzel did and he's done like a million of them. But it was a, a one, one interview in particular where he said something about um, he, he doesn't care about award shows. And he's like, it doesn't matter about the award. It matters about the quality of your work. Who cares how much work you do if the quality of it is not worth it? And that made me feel better coming from another black actor who's very successful, who's, who's, gotten, who's gotten awards. Although he deserved awards for the things he didn't get an award for. Like, the man deserved an Oscar a long time ago. Like, Malcolm X was... <laughs> Malcolm X was his Oscar. <laughs> like... And even I'm looking back on it, like the help. Viola didn't get it for the help. And you know, I love Octavia Spencer. However, I feel like when they give us certain awards, it's confusing to me because 
I feel like Viola did a, a lot of heavy lifting in the help. She like kind of carried that entire movie. And then they thought it was funny that Octavia pooped in a pie. So it was like, oh, she gets one because she was funny. Like, what? It's like, we can only succeed in the image that they want us to. Like, it's like, if you fall in line with this image we have of you, then you can succeed. But if you don't, we don't know what to do with you. You know? Exactly, exactly. And then, like, certain things that I just find so disrespectful. Like, I'm like, I'm happy that they finally recognize these people, but things I find so disrespectful. Like, when they finally, like, gave Cicely Tyson one, and it was, like, an honorary one. And I'm like, honorary? Do you know this woman's filmography? There is no honorary. You should have been, and it's just like, you don't have, you. Can, and then I just learned, like, you have to not put faith into these white award shows for sure, because when you look at the board, most of them white, even though the, like, the Academy board is supposedly supposed to be getting more diversified, it just, to me, the last Oscars still was, lacked so much diversity, so it's like, you, clearly something is just not, not hitting, so that's why I'm just like, you know what? It doesn't matter how many awards you get nominated for, how many awards you win. It matters on the quality of work and the people that are impacted by it. There are shows that have never gotten a single award and people have been so impacted by them. Oh my God. Yeah, like if Bill Street could talk. Can we talk about if Bill Street could talk? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. What in the world? How did Green Book an award, an award over if Bill Street could talk? What universe are we living in? I, it's crazy to me. So when I actually like see black artists tell their own work, I'm like, okay. I'm just like, that's, that's, that's what I need to see. So what kind of hurdles have you had to overcome as a director? I was in the first one starting college. Like it all starts in college, man. <laughs> all, of my, all of my trauma stories start in college. <laughs> you know, it all comes out of the woodwork. Um, so I decided that I was going to direct, started taking directing classes, uh, started, cause we had to do scenes. So each class pretty much, we would do a scene from play and we would cast it and we would like rehearse it and get people to act out the scene in our class. And so my directing teacher pulled me to, aside and was like, Hey, you're really good at directing. Like, how could you bring this out of these people? And the people that I was, that I was casting were all the people that they never cast. So I was casting the black people and the non-favorite whites. So <laughs> I would put them together and I would put them in scenes. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just sitting here like, what do you mean? How did I pull this out of them? Like you would do, you could do it if you actually cared enough to. Because in a lot of times in these classrooms when it's predominantly white, you don't, you don't get that extra attention at all. And I remember I would go to other people's dorm rooms and I would actually coach them through their monologues. Like I would coach them through their class assignments and it'd be like late at night because no one was helping them. Professors weren't helping them. And so this was a lot of the underclassmen that I was doing this for because I was very vocal. That's one thing. Like, they may have not cast me as often. However, I was very vocal about the fact that they were not going to stop my shine. Like, I refused to be <laughs> put in a corner because you don't know what to do with this boisterous black girl. Wow, wow, wow. That's episode three, aka part one of this conversation. You can find part two next week, about 40 minutes long. You'll love it. And if you don't love it, then you'll learn from it. Again, this was uh, Maisha Tierra McGarver, and she has a YouTube channel called MT's Corner. Go ahead and check that out. She has over a thousand subscriber subscribers in less than two months. What? What? I know. You know. You know what I'm talking about. Um, 
<laughs> this is getting weird real fast. <laughs> so I'm never quite sure how to end these, but I guess what we'll have to go with is, you know, stay conscious. Well, stay socially conscious, but also stay conscious. Both are really important in order to get things done. So um, celebrate Juneteenth, which should be a national holiday. Um, tomorrow, treat it as if it's a national holiday, my friends, my broskies, um, because I sure will. Um, again, be anti-racist, please. Um, goodbye.